Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Madeline Dunsmore, Regional Workplace Manager, Newmark Knight Frank, discusses Learning is the New Working, how this forward-thinking approach will help humans compete in AI age in workplace experience. So we've got Madeline Dunsmore um, here with us from D.C., and she's a workplace, regional workplace manager for Newmark, Knight, and Frank. And she's actually a workplace strategist and change management professional with six years of workplace strategy, but 12 years experience of public speaking. So kudos to you. That's fantastic. She's really a trusted advisor to her clients and specializes in leading workplace intelligence assessments. So she really has set herself apart um, as a leader in the workplace field by her work around telework implementation and their impact on managers, the workforce, and space. So we are all extremely excited to hear what you have to say, Madeline. Great. So um, I'm Madeline Dunsmore. I'm here with Newmark Knight Frank. I'm a regional workplace manager with that with the company. And um, who here went to the general session today and heard Duncan talk? Was that great or what? Do you guys want to keep kind of thinking about that topic a little bit and what that means for our industry and workplaces of the future? I do. Good thing I got prepared. All right. So thanks, Duncan. So I call this learning. Um, he called it a lot more other things, and I think there's a lot to that. A lot about creativity, innovation, and what we all need to be prepared for for the coming changes that are coming in the next decade. I think he did a really good job of setting us up for explaining what those changes are. So I'm going to go into a little bit more depth of why those changes are happening, what they are, what we can learn from education environments, and how we can create the workplace of the future. Sound fun? So here are my lessons. Lessons one, it's not just you. Things are changing faster than they used to, but it's not going to slow down anytime soon, so get used to it. We all need to become our own personal change managers and getting good at managing this change because it's only going to be coming faster and faster. So why is that? We talk about industry 4.0 a lot. Have you guys heard this term? Maybe here at this conference? Maybe somewhere else? Yes, no, maybe? Okay, what the heck is industry 4.0? Let's start there. Um, we're talking about automation. We're talking about AI, machine learning, Internet of Things, when things can talk to things and they don't need people anymore, when the computers can think for themselves whether this is the singularity, whether this is robots taking over, whatever this is, it's coming or it's already here. So how did we get here? So we call it fourth industrial revolution. Well, what the heck were the first three, Madeline? So the first one was about the steam engine. Remember, back in the history books, think your locomotives. Second one, assembly line. Thanks, Mr. Ford. You know, you put all those things on an assembly line, that was great. Third one, computers. Robots. How did that change the way we worked? A little? A lot? You tell me. So the fourth one is coming, and it's all about machine learning, AI, increasing speed of technology. So what happened at these other three industrial revolutions? Did it change the way we live? Did it change the way we work? Did it change everything about how the world operates? You bet it did. And that's what's going to happen again this fourth time. What does that mean? So I'm talking about jobs. There is a, a great thing that says 1%, 1 to 2% of all jobs in 2019 did not exist in 2018. 
So think about that for a second. That's kind of crazy. Only 1%, but like still, brand new jobs, we never thought about them. They have skills, they have job descriptions we didn't know about. And when you aggregate that over 10 years, think like 2030, that's 12 to 18% of the jobs do not exist today that'll exist in 2030. Now, that makes sense, right? In 2009, app developer was not really a thing yet. And now we all know what that is, and we're all trying to recruit for that and create workspaces for these mythical, great app developers. So these are the type of jobs we're going to have. Also, companies know AI is coming, but they're not all preparing for it. And they're not all investing at the same rates. So there's a disparity between who's prepared for this on an organizational level and who's not. So we're going to need, there's going to be major changes. We're talking about 25% of our jobs are going to change. Our tasks are going to change. Who's working and how much and how many jobs. Who knows what the job loss will be? Will they just be different? Will it be job loss? Men and women are going to be affected at about the same rate, unlike maybe previous industrial revolutions where there's been a, a discrepancy between the gender roles there. So we're going to see a change in tasks. What we do on a given day, we're going to do less things that are predictable and repeatable. We're gonna do more things that require applying expertise, uh, talking to people, having people interactions, feeling, sharing. These types of things are gonna take up more of our time where the routine tasks stuff, the stuff that drives you crazy today, like expense reports or answering dumb emails or the things you think that are a time suck, you're not gonna have to do those anymore. Those are tasks that will be automated. So what are you going to do with your time? We're going to be more doing managing. We're going to be educating. We're going to be taking care of each other. We're going to spend less time, you know, doing predictable physical, predictable mental tasks. So what are skills are workers going to need? People are not robots. Robots are not people. Robots do some things really well. Repeatable tasks, for instance. Some could argue driving, sometimes not. We're having trouble with the automated cars because the problem is the edge cases, the things where things go a little weird. And that's where humans are pretty good at. Like, we're good at edge cases. We're not good at repeating and doing the same thing over and over again because, why? We get bored. And we get distracted. And then what happens? Edge cases. So it's important to, to think about the things that humans can do that robots are not going to do. And I thought Duncan did a really good job of explaining what a few of those things were. But you can think of some. It's a fun bar topic. Just bring it up with your friends. Think about it. You know, robots can't cry. They can't laugh. They're not going to get married. You know, they're not going to have kids. You know, they don't call HR issues. But um, they, they do some other things, too. So here are the list of skills we're going to need. Critical thinking, problem solving, abstract thinking. All the things we were really good at when we were six years old and below. And then the things we got not so good at after we went to school. We're going to be needing communication, teamwork. And then there's going to be some specific things that we're going to need that relate to our, our jobs, our industries, programming skills for the short term until the computers can program themselves and then we're not going to need to know how to do that anymore. So you're an HR professional, you're leading HR, at a major company. What are your options? You know you need these new skills. You have five options. You can retrain your current workforce. You can redeploy the people you have. You can hire new people with new skills. You can contract out, be part of this gig economy, and you can let people go. These are it. That's your five levers. 
And whatever you do is going to be a mix of these five. So let's talk about what you can do. You can retrain and redeploy your people, or you can hire and contract out, basically. Those are your options. But hiring people is expensive. It costs about $4,000 to hire a new employee in 52 days. It costs 60% of someone's annual salary to replace them. So when you have people leave, go someplace else, that's expensive. And then it can cost 1% to 2% of your revenue getting new hires up to speed. So there is a cost that's either hidden or not hidden when it comes to new employees and acquiring those new skills. So what if we take the people we got and we retrain them? How do we do that? All of these training programs that some HR person has made you suffer through at some point, whether it's a seminar, workshop, some e-learning, mm, yum, or uh, going to a university, any sort of these ways to retrain people. Apprenticeship programs are becoming very popular. Maybe I can cross-train you so you can learn on the job. Amazon, we all know what they're doing in real estate because that's our biz and that's interesting. But do you know how many employees they plan to retrain in the next five years? 100,000. They're going to spend $700 million and they're going to retrain people they already have hired for them. So I think that's really interesting that that's where dollars are being spent. Okay. So how do we support the workforce to learn these new skills? So I think for this, we have to go back to where we started. So our current formal education system started in between the first and the second industry revolutions, industrial revolutions. Why? Because we needed people to work in the factories. So we have to train people to work in factories. Great. Let's just set schools up like factories. We're going to have bells that tell people where to go and what to do. We're going to separate our subjects into different assembly lines. We're going to stamp our outputs by their date of manufacture, because how old you are is definitely your skill level. And then we're going to march them out into the world, and they're going to all have the same skills and be able to do the same jobs, because that's what we need them to do in factories, right? Well, that doesn't really work. Education 1.0 is a little bit like Lucy in the Chocolate Factory, right? Can you keep up with everything your teacher said? Did you have lectures that just went on and you didn't get it all? You know, I did. So then we had Education 2.0. Oh, so Education 1.0, it's not far to see how we got to the workplace, right? You have desk in rows because you did your factory education. So here's where this looks like. And then here's what your work environment looks like. This makes total sense how we got to this place. This is what we trained you for. Okay, Education 2.0. I don't have a cool gift. There wasn't a good tailoring one, so sorry. You have to go with me on tailoring, all right? Um, so teachers are now understanding that everybody's different. One size doesn't fit all. So let's think about how I can make sure that I cater to your needs and your needs and your needs. And they're all different. And I am taking my same curriculum but tailoring it to each approach. So what does that look like? We're tailoring our environment. We're tailoring our work environments. We now have variety, we have choice, we have different things for different people because we understand that people learn and work in different ways. They have different work styles, so we're giving that variety and choice. Now we're about to head into this. Okay, who's seen the movie Apollo 13? Right? My favorite scene, great movie, by the way, watch it on the plane on the way home if you haven't seen it. My favorite scene is where they... Um, the astronauts are in space, the ship is broken, and they've got to, like, basically put a round peg in a square hole. So they dump all these materials out on the table, and the guys are like, figure it out. And they have six or seven NASA engineers just go at the table, and then they come up with a plan. 
And that's what Education 3.0 is. It's a bunch of resources, a little bit of guidance, and go figure it out. You're on an expedition of learning. And that's literally what we're training kids to do. Does this make sense for how this would apply for Industry 4.0? If the machines are going to do all the tasks, if we're not in a factory anymore, what do we do? We explore. We go on expeditions. We wonder. We make up stuff. And this, I think, teaches those skills in a way that our traditional factory type of education did not. So this is what this work um, learning space looks like. Real different. Who knows? Everybody has um, a supercomputer in their pocket. We're all over the place. There's different zones. So what is the workforce going to look like? What's the workplace going to look like if this is how we're teaching kids to think? So learning's important, not just because this is how Gen Z is learning and we're building the workplace for them for the next 10 to 20 years, but also we're all going to need to work like this. So this is the type of environment we need to learn to be able to learn new skills. So where can we find this? Real simple. Everything you need to know, you learned in kindergarten. And it's true. These are seven skills for success in kindergarten, right? Ability to listen, language and communication, sharing, independence and self-care, um, ability to play well with others, enthusiasm towards learning, and then, you know, actually learning your letters and your numbers and, you know, how to use the potty. Hey, does this look familiar? Are these the exact same skills we need for 4.0? Oh, except for digital skills. Is anybody with small kids worried about their kids not having digital skills? Are they all born with iPads in their hands? So what are these elements? Anyone who's ever done workplace or interior design for office space, these should start to look kind of familiar, okay? Um, think about when this starts to ring a bell. You have spaces for teachers, right, that's unique to them and their needs. You have a space for quiet reflection or a library or concentration. You have gathering space for everybody to come together as a group and talk about what they're going to do that day. And then you have student spaces for, for collaboration and work as teams get together and solve problems together. Sound familiar? Yes? Okay. So what else? Accessibility. Not only are things at different heights, things are all over the place. And you can make modifications to the spaces you need. And you learn at your own space, at your own pace, and the environment adapts to those needs. Also, you're encouraged to move around the space. Now, we use that term in workplace to mean you work here, then you work in this conference room, then you work in the cafe, now you're back at your seat, now you're in a touchdown area. What this is talking about is you're getting your heart rate up in the space. There's playground elements. You're moving around the space, but you're also getting your wiggles out. And I think that's kind of great for, for students and for kindergartners, but it's also great for us because we need to get our wiggles out too. Because the last person said, um, sitting is the new smoking, so I'm just reiterating that and how we design our workspaces. Inspiration. Nobody wants to come to a kindergarten classroom that's all beige and has high walls that separate each child. I wouldn't want to put my kid in that classroom. So the space has to inspire. It has to make me realize why I showed up. Why am I there? Have purpose to it. And have an emphasis on the things I did. I want to see my report on the wall. I want to see my drawing there. And so I'm reflected in the space, and that inspires me to keep going and to do better the next time. 
Um, so this isn't necessarily about space, but one of the things I'm learning about pre-K and kindergarten education is that they spend a lot of time on emotional regulation, um, how to resolve interpersonal conflict, think sharing is something you learn. And for whatever reason, at some point in our education careers and our other careers, we stop talking about this. We stop talking what it means to relate to each other, what it's like to regulate your own emotions, have empathy towards somebody else. You know, Daniel Tiger, for, kids, for people who have small kids, you know Daniel Tiger, he talks about it all the time, but we stop talking about it at some point. And I think that's a missed opportunity um, for managers, teachers, and leaders to have a conversation about what it means to be human in the workplace. So all of these things we see, um, one of the more interesting ones is that if you have a balanced layout of wall displays, student progress can actually increase by 23%, which is like just seeing yourself reflected in your own walls and the space you occupy can have an impact on your own productivity. But think about all the workspaces we've walked through that it's just white or one color blank walls. Why don't I see myself in the space? Why aren't I proud of what I've accomplished here? Or even the, the progress I'm making. So that could be another piece of, of the new work environment. So we are corporate real estate professionals. Some of us work in workplace or interior design. What does this mean for us? What are our takeaways? So play and creativity. They spark innovation. I think we learned about that this morning. How can you make time for thinking? How can you make time to get yourself out of that regular groove and, and question the things you've always done? So things about having play and innovation in your space. You know, tech firms are famous for having game rooms and ping pong tables. Maybe they really work. Maybe they need to be interspersed in our office. Um, I worked with a client who just had puzzles in the lunchroom. And everybody would kind of work on the puzzle over time. And then a month would pass, and the puzzle would be done. They'd shellac it, put it up in the conference room, and name the conference room after whatever the puzzle was. I mean, that idea costs $10. But I think it's a great way to get people to work on an idea together that's not work-related, and then be proud of what they accomplished. So team problem-solving team problem and learning, this Apollo 13 idea of putting all of your stuff on the table and working with it, all of our stuff now is information. It's not hoses and bolts and socks and stuff, duct tape. So how do, how do we create spaces for that? I don't have a great answer for this, but this is from Microsoft's Innovation Lab. It's a standing meeting with virtual whiteboards. It incorporates people who are virtual. This, I think, is um, a camera that follows people's voices around. So we can see who's talking and the people who are not in the room are integrated into the brainstorming session. And then it can kind of close off to be a smaller thing or open up to be another thing. So that's kind of neat. A neat way of that idea. What are those labs where we get to rapid prototype ideas? Okay, the other idea is about hacking your environment. This is about being able to take a kit of parts and switch it around so it's something else. And the best example I can give are... What's the difference between a formal living room that you've all set up ready for company and a pillow fort? They're the same ingredients, right? You have a couch, you have cushions, you've got blankets, you've got lamps. It's all the same stuff. The only difference is how you put it together. But the behavior that you have in a formal living room is really different than what you'd have in a pillow fort. The conversations you'd have are different. Your thinking changes and the only thing that changed about the space is how you put it together and that you chose to do something different. 
So we are seeing that with some furniture manufacturers. You know, there's some here today on the convention floor where you can kind of see this idea of a kit of parts that can come together in different ways to create different kinds of environments. I think you're going to see more of this, and this is why. So we can change our thinking, kind of have a different approach by just rearranging the deck chairs. Okay, um, last, I kind of want to talk about this very heady and complex concept that could be its own session really fast. So does anyone under know the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset? We semi can know about those two concepts. So the fixed mindset's like this. I'm bad at math. So what does that mean I do? Never go to a math class, never try at math, just avoid math altogether in my life. But what if I'm actually really good at geometry, but I think that's sort of math, so then I don't do it. So instead of saying I'm bad at math, I say I'm going to try every day and do a little bit until I get better because I know that I can work hard and over time get better at something I'm not very good at. But in order to do that, we have to focus on the process, me doing it every day, and not the results. And I don't think we spend enough time celebrating process goals. Look, I did it five times a week. We spend a lot of time looking at performance results. What were my quarterly sales goals, right? As opposed to, did I make 10 calls this week? That's kind of the difference. And we don't celebrate the process goals. And I think that's something we're starting to see in education. And it will be interesting to see how that relates into management, leadership, and eventually the workspace. Okay, my last one. I'm a Harry Potter fan, self-professed, sorry. So I see managers becoming more like these teachers in education 3.0. They're guides. They don't just lecture us for 90 minutes and go away. They give us puzzles. They tease our brain. They guide us along the way. They tell us when we're going off track. Um, they get us back on track, and they're marking our progress. And I think those are the managers and leaders that are going to succeed in this industry 4.0. So what did we learn today? Learning is the new working, not just for the Gen Z kids that are coming, but for all of us in order to keep up in this new industrial revolution. How we learn is how we work. So looking at learning environments informs how we want to continue to explore, to create new things, to have ideas, to be brave, and to show up. Three, everything we need to know we learned in kindergarten, and that includes the workplace of the future and those elements that we need in order to create successful engaging spaces for people to keep pace with our changing world. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.